<laughs> we the one before I had I was I started it off like I'm very relu- reluctant to do this episode. And his and then mic my was mic on was mute. on mute. I was like, "Yep." So we did it once. Okay, no, no, no. Hold on. Let me just tell people what's yeah, going go on here. You're right. Go ahead. He called me down here to podcast. What I thought we were podcasting on changed last minute, and he decided, "No, we're podcasting on something else." Funny part is, is he is not a go with the flow type of a guy. Mm. Like he has a. This is what is on the docket for the day. If something changes from that, he loses his mind. Like he gets cranky. He is mm-hmm. not that guy. I'm like free spirit over here. Whatever, who cares? So I like fun- the way I like things the way that I like them. So it's funny that we had this plan of what was to be discussed in the podcast, and then as I sit down and I'm starting everything up, he's like, "Yeah, no, we're not talking about that now." I'm like, okay, whatever. So we what already was had I supposed to talk about more uh, the kingdom stuff, and now you're diving in forward with this thing. Okay. I can't say all of it because then you're going to mess up. So, anyways, then we started recording another one, but. He realized like 10 minutes in that he still hadn't actually addressed what the vid- what the podcast was going to be about. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of your thing. You do that. And so he was like, okay, never mind. We're going to do a new one and I'll do it better. And then when we started it, he started to talk and his mic was on mute and it was really funny. <laughs> and so we spent the past minute realize, telling you all of this story. I, you know, I forget that like I don't mention what it's about until like 10 minutes and I was like, dang it, I haven't said But that's anything. why I told you. I'm like, you do that all the I time know, though. Horrible. So I just make sure I title the things and like give a little description to like make up for that because you do it every time, I don't know why so many people listen to this on other platforms. <laughs> like <laughs> I notice things like I'm not tearing myself down. I'm not. Don't, don't think that. But that's not your strong suit. That's like, not my strong suit. You don't suit. tell people what we're discussing until. Yeah, you know, I don't like, yeah. Most people that's probably annoying. just like turn it on and like fast forward eight to 15 minutes and then they're like, oh, that's what we're talking about. Cool. So what are we talking about Luckily today, Brandon? can't read the reviews of the other things. Like. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not as bad as maybe we not. think it is. I don't know. What anyway. are we talking about, Brandon? Let us well, know. Well, I can't take this anymore. And like I said, I'm reluctantly doing this one because... This is David taking on Goliath here. I mean, I'm taking on a giant when I'm talking about apologia. Yes, and which I is hate, a church based out of and I really yeah, based yeah, out and, of and, Arizona and with Jeff I Durbin. really hate to talk about it. You know, I really hate to put because I think they do amazing work in their ministry. And, yeah, of course. Uh, I think Jeff Durbin, the main teacher, Jeff is an amazing teacher. And he is very, very well spoken and intelligent. Um, he's, you know, he. I, I can't say enough good things about him. But lately, over the past couple of years, there's an he's, issue. He's he's been he, there's huge issues, and it's it's been real unfortunate to watch. Like I said, because I like. Jeff and I consider him a brother in Christ but what he's doing now he he's going and skirting on on the lines of being a false teacher yeah and I'm not calling him that but he is teaching some just false information that's just flat out false and then what isn't false, he's he's just making things up 
that just don't even make sense. And, and it just, to me, it's just so out of character for a person like this. And, and I always knew that I disagreed with him on this topic, but I was always, you know, it always made me angry, but like, I was like, okay, cool, whatever. We can agree to disagree. Yeah, but, we have different opinions. And we're this. talking about eschatology and his view of the end times, because this is lately his, see, it only took me two minutes, Heidi. I'm letting you do your thing here. <laughs> it's four minutes, but who's counting? So it's an end times podcast, everybody. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Yeah. I already know that because yeah. I titled it specifically I'm for talking about know. Jeff Durbin's Oh gosh! Like I said, it's it's very scary to even say anything on this because, like I said, it's reluctant. But there, there's just there's been things that that have been coming out of apology lately that are just they're a reflection of what the emergent church is. Yes, and it's what we call in reform theology. Which, broadly speaking, it's a system of belief that traces all the way back to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. These were the guys that rose up against the Catholic Church and fought the Catholic Church and said, no, you you can't tell us that this is what things mean and no man needs to be in between me and God and I don't need to tell anything to you in a little box and no. Obviously the super I'm, this, simplified this version. This is all paraphrasing. Yeah, completely paraphrasing. Uh, actually, you get the idea if you go to YouTube and you search uh, 10 Minute Bible Hour and you go to Matt Whitman's. Oh, he does a great. He does. It's, it, this is what you say. It's enough. What is it? Enough to know about the Protestant Reformation to make you look cool at parties. Yeah. Great video. <laughs> it's a great, great video. We go watch it. It'll give you a really quick uh, breakdown of the Pro- Protestant Reformation. And um, another really quick um, summarization of it was that they took these beliefs, you know, these these core beliefs, and they said that, no, this is not up to, to man or anything else. This is biblical truth, and this is what you... You have to do and they were correct with every single one of of you know their their main points however the one thing that they never reformed from the catholic church on was the catholic church's doctrine of the end times that's one thing for some reason that the reformers held on to and they they kept it throughout throughout and that was taught this was taught by the reformers so these are you know these are your calvinists which hold to reform theology too you know which there's nothing wrong with calvinism but there is a black eye in calvinism when it comes to eschatology and this is it which is the study of the end times because it's the the one thing that they never they stuck with the catholic church on and and never turned away and left was their doctrine of the end times and how it's a very fascinating study, and that's that's part of what I want to get into here because a lot of these things that that Jeff is doing over there, he know he knows so much better. Like, and he is not giving any kind of acknowledgement or any kind of seriousness to another person's held viewpoint that's that's historically sound. You know, there's different viewpoints that all fit under Christian Orthodox viewpoints. And we must acknowledge 
each other's views. I mean, and and be in harmony with them. I can. It's fine if we interpret scripture a little bit different way, as long as we stick within our our little box that we have that we're not allowed to. Sorry, I'm trying not to use big words for everybody, but uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you. in the little box of rules that we have to work in, that we know, you know, biblical truths that are that are understood. You know, there's there's different views that can come out of that, and that's fine. But what they're doing over there is they're just. Now they're just straight up lying about the other viewpoint, and he, now he's making fun of it. This is about the third or fourth video I've seen pushed out in a month specifically attacking this. And this is an issue because when we start talking about the rapture, we start talking about the end times or anything like this, there's some there's this is the doctrine of the rapture in the in this viewpoint of the end times is a legitimate viewpoint. But unfortunately, this emergent church that that's preaching this is sitting here making fun of it and teaching false information on it. And this is why I hate going against somebody like this because they are far beyond me in in pieces of paper on the wall. But he just uh, there, I mean what he's doing here is, is just simply on the surface and I'm going to play a clip here in a second just simply not true. And I'm going, really? Because I think that there's just as much damage with a person that holds his viewpoint as there is with an extremist view of somebody that holds our viewpoint of the end times. I agree. Yeah, completely. And he is now gone to extremist. And now it's getting to the point where that's like, hey, I don't know what makes you what makes you a false teacher. I don't know. I don't know what that line. I would not dare call him that. But these are the things that I mean, some of these things that he's preaching and teaching. I'm going this line to me is just being, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing here, man. You're you're not. Because what if you're wrong? What if, what if your teaching is wrong? From a dispensational view, if you are being this cruel to the nation of Israel, I, I, mm, I don't want to be you. Um, and that's what, you know, we're going to go into a little bit more here. But I guess before I get ahead of myself, I'm going to go ahead and play the, uh, the clip that was the inspiration for this podcast here. All right. But I want to show you the impact of eschatology, bad eschatology on the church. One of the things that you'll often hear today with the popular view today of, say, dispensational premillennialism, you know it as a left behind. I like the way he says the popular view today. Dispensational premillennialism is not the popular view today because that's not what the churches are pumping out. There's hardly any church that the Calvary chapels believe it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of black eyes in the Calvary chapel community. I'm not saying all. I, I enjoy many Calvary chapel pastors. But to, to not admit that there's some definite black eyes within the Calvary chapel um, uh, churches, that's, uh, that's ignorant to say. 
and uh, I think a lot of these these Calvary Chapel churches were kind of responsible for a lot of the left behind hype that went up around it. And we have to understand that, again, this is this is a black eye and we have to be able to admit it. But that doesn't make this a popular view or, or something that's even taught correctly or something that most people most people even, you know, pastors uh, completely understand. You know, a lot of times it's confused. They that's why many pastors won't preach on Revelation or, you know, won't talk in times period is because they don't know. They're confused by it. So it's just interesting that he says that, that that's the popular view. In series, it's a new view in history. Um, it's about 200 years old. No, it is not a new view in history. No, it's not 200 years old. Premillennial dispensationalism. Yes, John Darby did basically rediscover dispensational premillennialism but that does not mean that he invented it he didn't he so to i mean that's that's just false that's false and is he'll go on here to talk he'll talk a little bit more about it but the reason why that's false is because we have first and second century church fathers in their writings one Irenaeus in his writings that held to this view of the end times this was something that wasn't even wasn't even discussed it was it was believed and assumed and and everybody knew kind of what this was about and we um i don't want to get ahead of myself but no this is not this is not a new teaching and we have proof of it that dates back to the first century. That's that's a really that's like two thousand years ago, almost. So, no, no, Jeff, and you know better than that. You know that there's a general. I'm not saying that it's a fact that this is what it is, but if we want to be honest with with debate here, like he usually is, is. No, Jeff, that's false because there's a there's a accepted a general accepted understanding that this view existed in the early church fathers. Okay, just like you think that it's a brand okay, I you know, whatever, but don't lie about it. Or don't mislead people just because you have a vendetta against this. And this particular view of eschatology, uh, we have things like the secret rapture, we have seven years of tribulation, and then the kingdom comes and arrives, thousand-year literal reign of Christ on earth, all of that. And sometimes you have even that split up. You have people who are pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. What I want to say is, uh, what if that's all wrong? Hmm. What if? He uses a lot of these what ifs. And it's it's question and you know it's thought provoking like oh what are you what are you gonna say? But he, he talks about the secret rapture as if it's nothing, and the seven years of tribulation of it as if it's nothing, and then the thousand little the thousand literal year reign of Christ on earth. And this is the kingdom theology that I always talk about. This is the difference between the kingdom now and then Christ bringing the kingdom. 
And that's what Jeff's what ifing here. He goes, well, what if all of that information that you crazy secret rapture people who believe in the seven-year tribulation, what about all you crazy people? What if that's all false? Okay, even though we, I will do my best in in more future podcasts and in this one to to lay a, a, a better case for it because I I just wish more people would do it and and from a non crazy person view because like I said this this topic can bring out the crazies in both sides and unfortunately we've seen a bunch of defense for a pre tribulational rapture view but none of it is none of it has been really great or good you know there's always something crazy that they have to go off on you know all of a sudden the snake in the wall in Jerusalem is fulfilling a prophecy somewhere you know a hidden prophecy or something and it's like okay come on you guys are ruining you know a, a very a legitimate held viewpoint here and Unfortunately, that's what that's what Jeff's about to explain here. But what he's going to explain is what he won't teach you because that's not his prerogative. But it's it's a view called preterism. Saw all of these things fulfilled in 70 A.D. with the destruction of the Jewish temple. That view in itself is a new view that it wasn't invented until the 1600s. Uh, there was uh, so for him to accuse the rapture doctrine of being only a few hundred years old he, the viewpoint that he's teaching is literally only a few hundred years old so you know we can acknowledge that yes the viewpoint the doctrine of the rapture was um rediscovered again i guess largely made popular by john darby but he certainly did not invent it. And it was a teaching that was generally understood amongst the, the early church fathers, including the apostles. I mean, once it was given, it was, it was generally understood. And so, uh, you know, how this becomes an, a new teaching that somehow falls, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, okay. You know, but we have to recognize it, that, that, Full preterism is well outside Orthodox Christianity. And this is where it gets really scary because what he's saying and what art, well, I don't know if, if how, I honestly haven't heard Jeff's full statement on what, how full, like how hardcore he is. I know he recommends R.C. Sproul's teachings and R.C. Sproul was basically a full preterist, which means that he saw even a second there's not going to be a second coming of Christ uh, in the way that we the way that we think. the The next thing that we are waiting for somewhere down the line in human history, but nowhere in our lifetimes or our children's lifetimes or or in in any lifetime that you know we can imagine, will will Christ come and judge the earth? Final judgment, but no tribulation, no nothing, no none of that. And that's that you, you start getting into really, really dangerous doctrine when you get in there. Like I said, this is this view was a, a popular view held by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and there's there's a lot of reason for it. There's a, this is rooted in a lot of anti-Semitism and completely removing the Jew and completely, um, you know, uh, it, it was 
very, very demonic and, and very, you know, you can see Satan's hand in, in the work in it. And like I said, it's just really funny that it's the one teaching that the reformers, you know, didn't reform from. They all held it. And funny enough, most of the reformers were anti-Semitic. So that's where you have to say, you know, I, these, these guys are not perfect. They're men, just like any other, and they're fallible men. And these men could have some serious holes in their beliefs. It appears that they did. <laughs> but I'm going to go, we'll go ahead and play. What if the popular view today in the West of dispensational premillennialism and the secret rapture, seven years of tribulation, what if the in the history of the church, no one had any idea of that? What if that only started in the 19th century in the West? Because that's true. This view didn't exist. No, Jeff, that's false. That's not true. And you know that's not true. I don't know why what your hang-up is on that. Regardless, if you don't believe it, it's fine. But don't lie about it. There's no, like, you know better than that. And this is all he continues to do, is he continues to attack this, and, and like I said, he's got a vendetta against this. So much so that a normal, doctrinally sound teacher that is... is intelligent enough to debate and and to to logically think things out and and i've gained so much from listening to some of his things comes out and just says something stupid like that it, it just blows my mind we're gonna get into though i mean there's some right parts of things that he's gonna say coming up here that that we'll get into and we'll see and I'll post a link of this whole thing, too, because I know it's kind of annoying that I'm, like, playing it, stop, playing, stop, but I can't help it. There's just too much here to break down that I can't, so. ...to the church before the 19th century, so it's a new view. What if it's all wrong? What if, actually, there are Christians historically who never saw that at all in the Bible? What if, what if the Bible actually doesn't teach that particular view of eschatology? You see, when we think about the impact of this view, we can hear people... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What if the Bible doesn't teach that particular view of eschatology? The Bible clearly teaches that view of eschatology. Whether you want to believe it or not is your prerogative. I'm not saying that you have to believe it. You can have a different interpretation of the text, but you can't say that that's not an acknowledged teaching. And you can't say, oh, you, he mutilates Corinthians. That's what he does to go, and that's where Jeff gets his, his eschatology. His straight, and, and I don't know if he'll... Um, I don't remember if he admits it in this video, but he has Corinthians eschatology in the order of, of the way that events goes. And the way that the order of events goes, he just mutilates. Which, okay, you know, but this, you're, you're not even on an, an orthodox opposing view at some of the things that you're saying here. That's well and fine to say that you don't believe that there's not going to be a rapture, that there's... Um, maybe not going to even be a great tribulation period. Um, you know, that that's well within general, you know, general held views. But now you're saying that this is wrong and false, and you're starting to completely stay one-sided with something. Like I said, if you want to teach something, again, that's your, it's your prerogative. It, it's fine, but at least present 
the other view's side correctly. I mean, that's that's one thing that is just driving me nuts with him is he just does not give a legitimate argument for the other side. Even just, you know, not even that he has to give an argument, but let's just, come on, better things than this. Better than telling people that this is 200 years old. Because you know what this does is this goes, well, yeah, duh. I mean, this this completely makes a whole new group of, of people that is just completely, well, you know what, I'll let this go and we can see where this can go. Saying popular teachers that believe that, saying things like this, why bother polishing brass on a sinking ship? That's what they say. Like, what's the purpose of actually working and laboring in the world to, um, you know, in the fulfillment of the prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Your name be holied all over the world. Your kingdom come, what? your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, what if what if um, we believe that actually at any moment we're just going to be raptured out of here and, you know, it really doesn't matter what happens in the world because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, why bother doing anything in the world? I mean, that actually does change the way we live in the world. And I wanted to just say this, uh, for those of you guys who are hearing this, maybe hearing us for the first time, this is really important. Um, I, when I first came to Christ and... Okay, he's going he's gonna to tell his making fun of it view here, but... Okay, first... I I guess I ha he is right. This can lead <clears throat> this can lead to uh, a Christian attitude of well, what's the use in doing anything? You know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Why do we care about anything? You know, this sure this could lead to that, and I think it has in in some different ways. However, most people I know that believe this including myself that's not further from the truth yes this world is going to hell in a handbasket and yes we are living in the last days and i recognize all of that but that doesn't mean we do nothing that just means that we completely change our focus and if anything, you do more because yeah, you completely you realize do more. The I mean, why you would? I mean, we are not going to be, we're not going to be the one found not doing anything when the master returns. Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. There's nobody that legitimately holds this view that believes that we should just sit around and do absolutely nothing. I'm not saying there isn't crazies, but like I said, I'm I'm breaking this back into a legitimate view here. Okay, there's nobody that actually holds this. And does that. It just does not happen. Because scripture doesn't allow it to happen. We we interpret scripture just like you do, Jeff. Like, we understand that there is work that we are called to do. We are called to make a difference. We are called to stand out, to be a light. Okay, a light is, is you know, showing, you know, it, I, I would, this is where, I, you know, Apologia does a great job of being a light to the world and the things that they do. They, they go out and engage these, these Mormons, these Jehovah Witnesses, these abortion clinics, these different things like that. I mean, they do just such amazing work and they're, you know, that, yeah. Why can't we work side by side and holding view different views here? 
I would do the same thing that you would do. I would go and and engage people caught up in false religion. That's I mean that's what we're doing here. We've thrown a bunch of stuff out there engaging, you know, false religions, teachers, all kinds of stuff. So why can't we work side by side here? Why does this mean that we we all just agree that, you know, oh, don't do anything cuz we just are going to escape out of here. You you don't give it any kind of legitimacy. But here we go. He's going to go into explaining that Jeff did, and this is what's interesting, and in, in, not that this one thing is interesting, but here's a list of, on, on the list of many. He used to hold the view of a rapture, a pre-tribulational rapture view. He went, all the time when he went through seminary, he held this view, and, he, and he'll talk about it here. And, you know, he just got super into it. And he, I've heard him admit, I don't know, he doesn't go that far on this one, but in, in other uh, sermons that I've heard Jeff talk about, he talks about how he got caught up in one of these date-setting things. He got really caught up in that, and that when it didn't happen, it was kind of like a big letdown, and he realized that, hey, something was wrong, and my life has been changed, you know, Um and self-admittedly says that that was whatever, and then he's just gone now, completely extremist. But I'll I'll go ahead and play the rest of it. Heard when I first heard the gospel, I was raised in a Christian church, not in a Christian community. Uh, I knew very, very, very little about the Bible at all. And the first um, Bible study that I ever went to in my life was um, at youth group. I was about 16, 17 years old, and I walked into the room, I'll never forget it, and everyone's in the room, and the TV was playing a video, a very terrible movie from like the 1970s, and it was on the tribulation. And so when I first um, entered into my experience in the church, I just assumed this is just the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. Why? Because this is what all these Christians believe in. This is, this is the story. This really terrible movie from the 70s, right? Awful graphics and all that stuff like this. This is what's supposed to happen. Then I went to Bible college, and in Bible college, this is what I was taught. I was taught dispensational premillennialism. I was taught the secret rapture and pre-trib. Um, I was taught seven years of tribulation. Of course, I worked with friends who were mid-trib, post-trib. I went to Borders Books and Music every time I got the chance to go and get a copy of the Jerusalem Post because the Borders Books and Music would always have this section where they had like newspapers from all over the world. So you can go there and you can pick up like a newspaper from from a country in Africa or from somewhere in South America or you can, you know, get the Jerusalem Post. So I used to always go there to get the Jerusalem Post to see what were the happenings in Jerusalem and how soon would we be raptured. I was looking for that. I read how Lindsay, like he was my, my family member, like he was the best friend i read him all the time i watched the um the report he used to give weekly what was it called what, what was that show called the tribulation report i forget what it was like a news report from hal Lindsay. um tim lahay was my homeboy i mean i read his books all the time loved that view that's what i believed so deeply that i had moments i remember one in particular where i was reading the left behind series at about i think 19 years old um outside of my apartment at the pool reading left behind series closed it i was so excited i was just wishing myself into rapture lord any moment any moment that's all i could think about it's all i could talk about i just wanted to get out of here as soon as possible the world is evil and has fallen and there's sin i just can't wait to be taken out of this thing it impacts 
your labor in the world. This is where it gets kind of concerning because he's he's saying the world is evil and it's sin and and I just want to get out of here. This is where their viewpoint gets kind of dangerous because Satan to them has been bound from deceiving the nation. So there's not as great there there's still evil in the world, but it's not a as great sense of evil. It, we will the church will overcome. This is dangerous. See the world going to hell in a handbasket. If you see that all this is just going to get burned up anyways, what's the point? The church is going to have to get rescued out of this. Then it affects how you minister in the world. Do you see the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus in history like the Apostle Paul? In 1 Corinthians 15, where when he gives the gospel message, he says that Jesus came, he died, buried, and he rose again. He appeared, and then he says that he must reign, and then he quotes Psalm 110.1, the most popular verse in the New Testament, drawn from the Old Testament by the inspired writers of the New Testament. This is his same argument. He uses these two verses every single time to argue his point. Uses Psalm 110 and 1 Corinthians 15 every single time. And he just hammers this in. And I'm like, come on. I'll let him. Estimate. Capture that. This is God's favorite Bible verse, apparently, because it's used the most in the New Testament. Well, when Paul refers to it as he is explaining the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he must reign until he's placed all of his enemies under his feet as a footstool for his feet, and then the last enemy to be defeated is death. So Paul refers to Psalm 110.1. He says that it's a present reality. Jesus is on that throne at the right hand of the Father in the position of authority as the Messiah. He is reigning now, and he must reign until every enemy is placed under his feet as a footstool for his feet, and then the last enemy to be defeated is death. So for Paul, it's all enemies defeated by Jesus, and then finally death is defeated. So the resurrection, according to Paul, takes place after Jesus has put all of his enemies as a footstool for his feet. Paul says Jesus is reigning now. On what throne? On the Messiah's throne. On David's throne. So he is presently ruling. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. One problem with that. The Davidic throne was never, ever, and has ever been referred to as a spiritual throne. The Davidic throne has always existed in Jerusalem. Always. There is a distinction between those thrones. That is not the Messiah's throne. Amen that Christ is ruling and reign. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. He has all control over everything everywhere, even right now. But he is by no means reigning on the Davidic throne. I don't live in Jerusalem, and I don't have a perfected body right now. So there is no way he's ruling and reigning on this Davidic throne. That, and uh, that's the other thing. This is a very, very unorthodox view of the uh, interpretation of this passage. Even your study Bibles that you can buy in the store your NLT study Bible, your ESV study Bible, 
will not translate this passage this way. The, the way that Jeff translates it. That does not make it correct or incorrect. But if it doesn't translate that way and you're teaching it so direct, then this means that this is there's some kind of question here around this. And that's fine. You should always preach in surety and, and be confident in your viewpoint. And I understand that. But being confident in your viewpoint at the expense of making somebody else's false, you can't do that. It's not kind of, not sort of, almost, maybe, but really later. No, he's on that throne now. His kingdom has arrived, and now it's growing as Jesus promised, like a seed that becomes a... Amen. It, it was brought. It is here. It is growing. But it's growing in ways that can't be seen. It's not... This fulfillment is not... This is not the complete fulfillment of the kingdom. And that is a ridiculous... I mean, it, it's it's a recognized viewpoint of it, but it, it's it's a very very hard view to take because you have to spiritualize a lot of things, and so much so that that's not the common interpretation of these things, even most liberal theologians recognize a few a future messianic reign through christ in a, in a in a literal kingdom it's not just pre-tribulation people that want to escape it's it, it it's a more generally understood view again if you don't believe it that's fine but don't lie about it don't present false information this is something like i said this is somebody that has a good reputation of being able to be, you know, his channel is apologia. Apologetics, that's where we get this word. Doing apologetics, it's like, come on, dude, you're not even presenting correct fact to know, even if you're going to argue. This is why I want some legitimate, I volunteered Andy Woods to do it on his YouTube channel, but then his wife answered me back and said that I should do it. And I'm like, nope, no way that I would ever go on there and, and debate Jeff because I would get eaten alive, chewed out, spit out. No, no, no. But I definitely can keep volunteering her husband, Andy Woods, <laughs> to go on Jeff's podcast or his radio show and at least present a legitimate view of premillennial dispensationalism. At least give a legitimate view of it. Instead of this garbage that's being, you're pumping out here. I mean, come on. If you're going to attack something, like I said, at least tack it right. There's plenty of different holes that that even, there's there's plenty of problem passages and things that, that dispensationalism has. That's, I'm, I'll admit that. But you're, there's there's way more holes in the theology that Jeff, or the eschatology that Jeff, he holds. There's so many more problem passages in this, so much so that even Doug Wilson, who he's had on a bunch of times, one of his problem passages is in Timothy. When Paul is explaining to Timothy that things are going to get worse and worse, and evil waxes worse and worse, not better and better, 
because of Christ's kingdom here on earth. Uh, nothing of that is ever said. So that is a, a problem passage even for him. Not saying that's an ace in the hole, but that's just an example of the, the, the there is problem passages with every viewpoint that you hold large tree like leaven in a lump of dough that permeates the entirety of the loaf paul says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness from darkness into the kingdom of god's dear son we are under the rule of jesus now and think about this when jesus saves somebody now from whatever tribe tongue people or nation they are drawn to God, they are made alive and made new, and they experience salvation and peace with God, and that is taking place worldwide right now. Amen. I don't disagree with that. But that still doesn't mean that the kingdom is here on earth right now. That, that, that's not what that says. People are experiencing the peace of God, reconciliation, forgiveness, through Christ, the King, the Messiah, now they are brought into his kingdom now. And that kingdom is ever growing, ever expanding. And as people experience salvation in Jesus, as they experience the new heart, the indwelling of the spirits, now they love and they want to obey the Lord God of Israel. Now the nations are being drawn to God, experiencing salvation. And now the Torah, the law of God, is going forth from the people of God. Right. As the world experiences the blessings of redemption in Jesus, they experience new life in Jesus, the world begins to transform and change. So, what should be the goal? Let's win the world to Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. That ought to be the goal. See what he's doing there? He's spiritualizing absolutely everything. The Torah is going out from the world. So... The Torah all of a sudden has become spiritual. This should set our Torah observant folks that listen off the hooks from this kind of statement because apparently you're in the kingdom now and Torah is going out from the world and that God, that, this is, oh my goodness gracious. First Corinthians 4 8, Paul jokingly says, to the Corinthians, you think you have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. So he is jokingly, like, not, he's kind of mocking their attitudes here and saying, oh, you think that you have everything, you know, you think that you're kings and you're already reigning in God's kingdom. Well, I wish you were because we would be with you. But that's not the case here. So this is something that even in, in his favorite book here in Corinthians, that it's like even Paul mockingly stated that, I mean, not even intending to make that point. You know, it, it's just, this is not, it's not true. And it, it's dangerous and it changes. What's dangerous about it is his, how dogmatic he is about it and how absolute that this is just, this is the way that it is. We're going to make fun of everybody else and we're going to, we're going to get, just pull Christians out of there. You, the reason why I think this is damaging is because if he's wrong and then he's bringing these, the, the, these Christians believe that they're going to be able to go and, and take the gospels to the nations like this, then we end up like that dude that gets killed by that indigenous tribe, you know, off of the coast of what, India, right? 
um, you know, that's the kind of things that we deal with it, thinking that we, we can go and, and, and change the heart of man like that. That's just not something that we have the ability to do. Yes, Christ can move mountains, and that's that's when you see how much his viewpoint spiritualizes everything, because you see that, yes, Christ can move mountains, and yes, Christ's work is made, but we have a seal in the flesh, is is so we aren't completely destroyed. I don't, there's nothing good about this flesh, and there's nothing inherently savable about it, so, you know, while we, we do need to proclaim the gospel and we do need to work to make while we're here to make this world a better place unlike what he falsely claims that people that hold our viewpoint do you know i i agree with that but not to the point that we're building god's kingdom here on earth that is a that's a scary view that this is the viewpoint that's held with a lot of these the the unfortunate thing that he'll have to admit here is a lot of these charismatic Pentecostal or not Pentecostal. I'm sorry, because Pentecostals are mostly actually that's our black eyes Pentecostals because they believe in pre-tribulational rapture. So rightly so Pentecostals are, are definitely um, our 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 black eye in in the argument, but. Um, I was thinking of like Methodists and the Catholic Church. Most of the Baptist churches uh, now actually have adopted this type of of theology and this type of te- this kind of uh, kingdom teaching. And it's just, yeah, uh, it's just baffling to me. It, and no, it's not new. Um, I wanted to get this one out first. I don't. This is just an example of what the other viewpoint i guess is saying about these things and my attempt is going to uh, show you in these upcoming ones what the kingdom is what it's you know what we're talking about here when we we keep referring to the kingdom in israel and the importance of all these things um because Clearly, this is the type of stuff that's out there, accessible to most people. And, you know, like most of the church is teaching this now, and this is, you know, it's dangerous. It just could lead you into love for the world is where it ultimately can leave you. You would think, how did that happen? Well, then if you're not looking for Christ coming, if you're not denouncing this world as saying no that there's no hope in it this world is waxing worse and worse not it's going to get better that's just that's nonsense that's no though it's the elements are going to be burned down and destroyed it's nonsense to say that this is this is something that's going to you know get better on on the human side of it i think that's that's just the be the first one and and be very, very cautious of this type of teaching and go listen to the uh, John MacArthur podcast we did about Christ's call to reform the church. And I highly recommend you get that book. It's called, again, Christ's Call to Reform the Church. And he does a better 
better ex- job of explaining the the damage that this type of teaching can do uh, in the world and to the to Christians in general. So go check it out.